Hey everybody, welcome to another edition of Bald Move TV Podcast. It's the only officially unofficial podcast for all of television, <laughs> sure. Uh, I'm your host, Aaron, and joining me is my constant co-host, Jim, and my occasional co-host, Cecily. Uh, got a, we got a packed studio here. Uh, we're going to talk about some Rick and Morty updates, we're going to talk about Ozark, we're going to talk about uh, Defenders, the new Marvel Cinematic Universe super team, and then... Uh, Glorious ladies of wrestling, mm-hmm. aka Glow. This lot, this gorgeous, lot of, even gorgeous. I thought it was glorious. Pretty sure it's gorgeous. Oh, sexist! <laughs> hey, I didn't make it, it up. Can't believe it. Uh, let's talk about uh, Rick and Morty. So, have uh, you seen the latest? Are, 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 have you seen the latest, or are you just uh, episode three and four? I've seen up to episode four. Okay, cool. Um, what so episode three was the infamous uh, pickle Rick mm-hmm. um, that leaked out like two comic cons ago. Some of the rough artwork. Uh, episode four was the Vindicators episode, which is kind of them taking the piss out of the Avengers, I suppose. What do you guys think of this uh, three? We were really impressed, all of us, with the first two episodes. What do you think of this latest episode arc? Not uh, really an arc, I, I guess. I, I wasn't like, I didn't think Pickle Rick was amazing or anything. Huh. I, I thought actually the Vindicators one was a little bit better. Wow! Uh, uh, but Pickle Rick was—it it just seemed like too simple of a concept, like yeah. uh, almost this one-note sort of thing. Um, that yeah, I guess culminates in something interesting for for Rick, I suppose, with the therapy session that he goes through. But mm-hmm. um, it felt very much like here's this one idea we have about pickle rick and and rick not needing anybody's help and right then it culminates in this therapy session which is just essentially dan Harmon's takedown of therapy it felt like like just him just spouting points that he wants to make about therapy okay right, which seems confusing because he is an advocate of getting therapy and he's said that it helps him oh, is a he? lot yeah hmm. Which is why it's kind of confusing. Well, see, I, I'm I'm in violent disagreement, I guess, with you both because I felt like violent the end of the episode, uh, yeah, like like ultra pickle violence levels of disagreement. Because I thought the end of the episode was essentially uh, the therapist played by Susan Sarandon, Sarandon mm-hmm. just dunking all over Rick. Mm-hmm. Like you know, Rick had this like your, your standard um, smart logical dismissal of therapy and this the, you know essentially any of the softer science and then the therapist coming back with yeah of course you're right this is boring this isn't exciting this isn't saving the world it's it's mm-hmm. you, you're going to be no more engaged than you are when you're wiping your ass or shoveling the millionth bite of food into your mouth to keep yourself alive but that's the thing about repairing and maintaining and self-care it's boring but if you don't do it you're going to die mm-hmm. and i thought I think that's the interesting thing is I thought she scored points with Rick, but then you see Rick and his daughter on the, on, on the car ride home completely mm-hmm. missing the point and wanting to return to their lifestyle of essentially killing the brain with alcohol right. to distract it. Like, did I – am I the only one that got that? No, or? no, no. Totally, you're right. But the problem I guess I have with the episode overall is that none of the Pickle Rick stuff really needed to happen to make that point at the end, which just kind of comes out of nowhere and says – this is what this is what I think about therapy, hmm. right? And it's seen, in the first episode of the um, season, they Rick does one of his monologues to Morty at the end, where he says, "This is going to be the darkest year of our adventures." Mm-hmm. And it seems like I mean, this season, this episode, um, have been really heavy on the darkness, but light on you know the 
moral, ethical questions that they were so good at posing in the previous seasons. Like you know with I mean? the story? Yeah, I mean, so obviously Pickle Rick is there to to say, hey, Rick doesn't need anybody, right? Like he always wants to, to just rely on himself. He thinks he's the smartest person in the world. Right. He thinks he can do everything. It's I, I understand that it's there to like demonstrate that in visual form. Mm-hmm. Um but I just felt like that was a point that we've seen over and over again in the series, and mm. it really didn't need to be said in a full-form episode. <laughs> I thought that it was just visually – the inner. I thought what was entertaining is the fact that even as a Rickle like, – like, <laughs> Right. Like when he, when he lures that cockroach over to him by mm-hmm. biting his own lip and leaking p- pickle juice and then grabbing it and <laughs> then killing it with his teeth. Right. And then using his tongue to manipulate its ganglions or whatever, its, its, mm-hmm. its, its neural matter. Like I, I just thought that if you're going to make that point, you got to go over the top. And I thought the – Sure. Then like the John Wick smash up, where you've got the pickle man, the 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 what what the Baba Yaga, yeah, versus versus that crazy the jaguar dude they let free from prison, yeah, like all, all that stuff. I thought was really effective parody, and then I thought that yeah. I guess the end of the episode is is aimed at like the quote unquote shit lords who think that like therapy is a waste of time because that's Dan Harmon from like five years ago essentially. Mm saying fuck you and your your squishy ideas of what people need to be healthy and then the therapist coming back and just very smart and professionally destroying that argument and right and that's, that's what i thought the value was it's, it's like the satire of rick's character itself is that we know he's wrong because he's out of touch with humanity and he doesn't understand the value of those things but he does right but he's the smartest person in the universe so he's right about it being a waste of time and we're all specks of dust in the universe. <laughs> yeah, it's... Hmm. But on the end of his, his way, like the therapist pointed out, it's like, okay, yeah, you don't... You're super smart and you don't need us to literally, like, survive the day, but you're also covered in shit and rat blood. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess what I'm saying is that, I mean, you... Whatever state of mind you're in is what you will perceive from that. You know, if you are... A fourteen-year-old that's watching Rick and Morty, and your parents are going through a divorce, then maybe that helps you. If you're an alcoholic who's out of touch with reality, then you know you can just get to laugh at all the stupid people who think that they can help themselves. You know, but that's something that, like, I feel like there's a particular type of very smart person who's very unhappy. And they feel like that's just the reason they're unhappy is because they're smart and they can see the artificiality of the world. And it's only idiots that can be happy. And I don't know, like the end of this episode is the kind of hint, like a hint that that approach is wrong. The fact that you if you are hurting and in pain, that you can be better and you can be happier, even if, you know, you accept the fact that the world is meaningless and kind of a shithole. And I mean, like I said, it's it's I thought it was like um like a like a sixty second condensation of hours of Harmontown, um, and I was impressed <laughs> right. with with both like you know because it it, it must have taken a lot of time in the writers' room to pare down that verbal repartee into as efficient of a monologue that they both give as possible, and that that's then the irony is of course Rick says oh what a monologuer when he he tried to drop he tried to do a mic dropping monologue on her and yeah. she just wasn't having it. Um. And then the you know you always feel sorry for the kids because it seems like Rick you know so I mean that's the other thing is that uh, you know Morty is fourteen fifteen years old and he's pissing his pants at school because he can't handle the divorce and Summer is huffing huffing enamel paint mm-hmm. 
uh, like these kids are in bad, bad shape. And, right. uh, you know, it's like, I wonder, it's like, what, what, I, what I think would be interesting because we saw a false memory early on in the season of like Rick's origin story. Mm. I wouldn't mind seeing like what Beth's upbringing looked like. Mm. Like if you could flash back and see like, you know, how, like, like, can you, can you imagine Rick when he was still around? Like what kind of a dad he'd be? Yeah. Right. Or, you know, what her mother was like, you know, that made her the way she is, the way she was willing to uh, settle for Jerry. Yeah. And make the choices she did. I mean, there's, there's, I'm not <laughs> blaming your mother. We don't know anything about her, but there's definitely mm-hmm. a very opposite part of her from Rick. Right. That would be interesting to explore. Yeah. yeah, I think there are some story threads to pull on there. Um, yeah, I, I guess my my only real disappointment, because I was entertained by the episode, and I thought, you know, the ending has some interesting things to say. I just wish it was maybe more integrated into the episode as a whole. Um, c- kind of like, you know, that, that the episode that it really stands out to me that they did a great job with that is the one where, it, you know, there's this planet that's controlled as like a hive mind by this queen and like yeah rick's ex or whatever and and he goes there and he destroys that power balance and then all of a sudden things go horribly wrong i i feel like that's like a prime example of a really good well integrated episode Mm -hmm. um, with the message that it's trying to get across i didn't feel that from pickle rick i thought it was more of just like this sort of barely connected adventure with rick Mm -hmm. and then an ending that just kind of throws you into the deep end on you know a, a monologue about therapy. Right. And even the end of that episode, you have a clear understanding of what Rick's state of mind is. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and at the end of this episode, they just decide to tie one on at the end. So, yeah, I wonder <laughs> if they're, if they're, if, if Rick will actually make, cause we learn more about Rick and he's more, I mean, and, but the thing is, is every time we find out that Rick might care a little bit, they almost immediately, Reverse it, like the next episode, right? right. Or even yeah. at the end of the episode, where like we're like, "Oh, you thought I cared about you, Morty? Ha ha! I was just trying to kill your dad, or whatever." Right? It's, it's and, and you don't know like what is the the real Rick, and I mean, you have seen in moments like um, the the sixty fourth dimensional adventure they had, mm-hmm. where it does seem like Rick Prime was prepared to sacrifice himself for Morty, uh-huh. so that Morty may live. So like that's like a genuine moment because it was just him, and there's no one there to act in front of, and um, yeah. I, 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 but I, th- I wonder if this whole series, if if Rick is ever going to get better, and is is Rick can Rick still be an interesting, cool character if he, you know, fixes himself and it becomes is and allows himself to be happy, right? But then that puts an expiration date on the series. Well, I mean, <laughs> I know, think that's grow and changes people, but... right? I, I do <laughs> feel like that's one of the things that scared Dan about it too, though. Like, I've got this genius that's fueled by alcohol and self-loathing <laughs> and paranoia and all this stuff. Like, if I start peeling this onion back and getting to the core of it. I'm just going to be the shriveled old core, core of an onion who'll be happy, but like useless for making television. And I kind of wonder if we're seeing that battle with like Rick doesn't want to get better because he thinks being Rick is awesome, like objectively, and he doesn't want to threaten anything to that. Uh, he doesn't want to threaten his place of supremacy in the world. He doesn't want to be like, you know, he doesn't even want to be a watered down version of himself because he sees like the Council of Ricks who obviously giant intelligent hyper intelligent assholes like himself but mm-hmm. they're still too molly, molly molly coddled for his good or for his 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 
yeah, he his wa- taste. He wants to be the rickest of all ricks, right? Um, which, by by its very nature, would be like the most intelligent being in the universe, right. and and you know, he wants to be the alpha and the omega, essentially. Right. But I did like it, the, in the in the margins of Pickle Rick. I loved Ultra Violence. I I thought that stuff is so over the top and uh-huh. funny. I loved his little like I, I do using like a double so. A as like a, a single like like somehow he's harnessed every bit of power from a double A and he's got oh, this right. like fucking Spartan laser it. to just cut through anything. Yeah, uh, and I do like the sort of Rube Goldberg uh-huh. style of how he kind of just chains all these different events into getting back to rick right you know um and it's a good setup at the beginning where he's got this plan and then you, that's the his thing. family and it goes wrong and he's got to figure his way out of it right and like he's got this suit of biomechanical rat cockroach armor but even but that's not even enough he's also built this tony stark biz, you know like, like jet pack like, like like way to like even the thing like he's got a machine that puts him into the machine uh, that he's built as a pickle right <laughs> on a throne of dismembered cockroaches i, I thought that yeah. was and the fact how just like how brutally he was killing these dudes and mm-hmm. um yeah I, I i i guess i liked it a lot more than you guys did no i liked um, it i forget what the what the punch oh the punch on that episode was um was it the what's the concerto he had like like the jaguar came and saved them at the end of the at the end of the episode. Oh, I think I missed that. Oh yeah, yeah I think yeah. I didn't watch past. Yeah, the fast on forward through the credits, man. Yeah, uh, when that's another odd one is that so like in the Rick and Morty theme theme sh- the the credit sequence mm-hmm. like every other scene is a fake scene and every other scene is a real scene from this this this. Uh, uh, what do you call it? This season, uh-huh. and this is the first time they've actually pulled one of those scenes from a stinger, hmm. um, yeah, right. which I thought was because you know usually those are like pivotal moments of the season, and this was just like a really a throwaway joke about the jaguar. Who apparently they I don't. Do you think we'll see the jaguar again? I don't. I mean, he owed Rick exactly one favor for right. his life, and he saved his life. So right. it seemed to wrap up there. Um, who was the uh, guest star? Oh, it was uh, Machete. Oh, uh, that was the guy who voiced the Jaguar. What's his name? Danny, uh, Danny Trejo. 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 Yeah. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, something like that. No, it's Trejo. Danny Trejo. Trejo. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Trejo. Uh, yeah, he was the and Susan Sarandon was the therapist. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, so that's Pickle Rick. Um, the at the the I think the low point of this season so far was the Vindicators, and uh, the mm-hmm. reason why. Because like Dan Harmon on Harmon Town is always decrying certain types of humor that he thinks is hacky and played out. Like he really hates what he calls the Monopoly guy stuff, which is like Jim Carrey, um, Ace Ventura Two goes into this high society soiree in Africa, and there's a guy who's literally dressed like the guy from Monopoly Guy, just Mm -hmm. so Jim Carrey can sidle up to him and goes, "Oh, you must be the Monopoly guy," Mm -hmm. like. It's 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 lazy as a writer to dress someone in a way that you can just have your hero take a pot shot at him. Mm-hmm. But yet this was an ent- one entire Monopoly guy episode involved revolving around Dan Harmon kind of making fun of Marvel's The Avengers, I think. Yeah, but uh, so this is I guess where I disagree. Um I thought it was integrated into the point that they were trying to make it pretty well. What was like the with point? Rick's character? Um, that, so I think it's that he only cares about any, himself, like, and, and people who are willing to say that he's the greatest and, and 
buy into that mythos that he's created for himself. But that's like so, or if you want to take a, another way to look at it, be he's a, he's jealous of anyone that takes attention from his fan, like you know, from himself most importantly, right, because right. in the end he's not, you know, he doesn't construct this whole elaborate thing to tell Morty that he loves him. He tells Noob Noob, you know? right, right, so. And I guess my question is, like, this is like the third or fourth time we've seen this kind of storyline. So, like, I felt it was the most tired because it Hmm. it told us something we already knew about Rick Mm -hmm. and didn't shed any light on his, like, interpersonal relationships with anybody. Um, And also, I guess, in the preseason hype was this is the episode where uh, Justin Roiland was going to, like, get progressively drunker in the voice box to try to realistically portray how blackout drunk Rick was getting in the... You know, because yeah, yeah so that's that's the conceit of the episode. Um, and I thought that just didn't work. Like I felt mm-hmm. like it gave a, Justin Lin gave a shittier performance. Um, most of the lines he was recording when he was drunk, they seemed like they threw away anyway because they, you know, surprise, surprise, Justin Lin super drunk. He delivers his lines like ah blah 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 blah, and that's like you know poopy poopy doopy pants at the end of every thing, and nothing's usable. Mm-hmm. So. I don't know. I was just like kind of disappointed because it was uh, it was mostly just pot shots taken out and Avengers kind of crew. Um, there was a couple like the Ghost Train guy when uh, he's fighting with his wife and is like, "Oh, you'd rather have his, you know, six million legs inside you than my half ghost, half messy penis." Like, I guess <laughs> he's is he is he survived some kind of is he the lone survivor of a train disaster? <laughs> She's just got this grizzled half ghost, so. half half <laughs> half chewed up penis. I don't know, but that was that was a pretty good line. Yeah, and it was also delivered by um, the guy who plays Lieutenant Daniels on The Wire. Uh, what's this guy's mm. name? Oh, oh, Broyles from French. <laughs> yeah, or or uh, Zavala <laughs> from Destiny. Uh, shit. What else has he been in? Let's Lieutenant, talk about Lieutenant that for Cedric a while. Daniels. That's it. I think those are those are the shows I mean, he's been in. Do you think there's an element of Rick that's also jealous of a group of people who can work well together and that you know rely on each other's skills to make um it, you know, to enhance each other's skills, you know, just probably each other up. But the thing is, is like, I guess it would be, I mean, this is the thing to show is like the show never, Rick is never wrong. Right. So like, it would have been interesting. They all sort of implode on each other. Right. right And they're monsters too, because they, they exterminated a whole planet. Like they could have put up with Rick's assholery and he could have found a, you know, Doomo bot or whatever detection thing, and they wouldn't have to exterminate the whole planet, but they didn't, which makes them as big a monsters as Rick is. Only because out of incompetence, like Rick occasionally is a monster; he destroys whole worlds, but he usually means to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't. Yeah, know. I. I mean, essentially, this whole episode is you're not wrong, Walter. You're just an asshole. Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, so I, I don't know. I. I can see your point where it is sort of just, you know, the big Monopoly guy joke mm-hmm. uh, over writ large, essentially. But I I think there's more to it, and I think you're kind of hitting on it, Cecily, which is Rick is jealous of people who do have some sort of, you know, ability to interact with people, um, the ability to love people. Like, he is very much the center of his own world, and sometimes that – he would never admit it, but sometimes I think that gets him down. 
But why did they then? Then why did they, they subverted at the end? Yeah, right? so like, like, they made the Vindicators complete. Like yeah. the, like even the guy who's the jetpack kind of uh, uh, Star Lord hero turns out to. You know, only have taken a shine to to Morty because of the photo op of of you know hanging out the mentally challenged boy, right? And they're all like you know they're cheating on each other and they're petty and they've got jealousy, so they don't really get together. Mm-hmm. It's like what would really be Rick's kryptonite is if you met a group like this who are all less than him, but together they form something yeah. special because they don't have to destroy things to create something of value. Whereas Rick, that's all he can do. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, they were working well enough together until Rick came along. Uh-huh. So I think he does destroy this group by the end of it, certainly. I mean, literally and metaphorically. Well, I mean, that's the, I don't think that's true because the way they said the Vindicators 1 was the episode we didn't get to see. Mm-hmm. Then there was Vindicators 2 where they didn't invite Rick and Morty because they thought <laughs> Rick was an asshole. Mm-hmm. That's the one they committed planetary genocide. Hmm. So it's like... I, and and they also that was where the you know that's where Ant Man started sleeping with Star Girl or whatever the hell yeah. Million Ant started sleeping with Black Hole Woman or whatever his I, I don't I, why I don't I can't remember her name it's Cracklebot it's Cracklebot Million Ants or something something like that. yeah Ghost Train because when she was talking about the fact that a stillborn child it's like he got me <laughs> pregnant and it died within me because it was half Million Ants <laughs> and half a dying star uh-huh. um, I don't what the hell was her powers either. I she could like control. Stuff I felt like that was a, that was a jab at Marvel's kind of like nebulously defined yet. I, I think almost it's just infinite like all powers. The superheroes. I mm. thought I, I got more of a yeah. Justice League vibe because their station is out in space. Mm. Um, or su- the Crocobot sh- gave me like a suicide. The, the million mm. like some right. of them like they're like lesser tier powers seemed like they were. I mean it's it's. I guess it's a. It's not just Avengers. It's not just Justice League. It's essentially all Super Squad I think shows. I I missed it in the show. But what was her? What was her end end game? She killed million ants. But because she was her she wanted to kill every one of the Vindicators that could get away and say the Vindicators like she wanted to be able to tell the story that she was the sole survivor of their show showdown with the big bad because yeah. hmm. the universe needs to believe in the Vindicators to maintain law and order. It's a little Watchmen in there. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the other thing. But that's only because Rick came along and did their job better than they could. Right. right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Himself. The yeah. and the other thing that bothered me about the episode because it's another thing that like Dan Harmon claims to hate is like over reliance on pop culture tropes mm-hmm. and like. I mean, they've gotten along so far, like, when they do just a straight-up Purge parody, when they just say, oh, it's a Purge parody, yeah. Well, like, I mean, this is this felt like the fourth or fifth time they did, like, oh, you're not going to do a Saw thing. That would be a hack thing. And then, then <laughs> and they Rick totally drunk Rick him, deliberately, yeah. yeah, it's just like Rick, it's just like Saw Morty, woo. I'm like, does, how, how, how many lampshades deep can you get before the lampshade doesn't work on the trope anymore? No, I like, that's the thing about Dan Harmon that, confuses the hell out of me right. as he says he despises this you know reliance on these tropes right and yet that's what he's made his bread and butter on like right. time and time and time again he does it i think and that's where the self-loathing comes in he's really good at the pop culture mashups yeah, yeah. To where that's like where that's his that's where him that's how he runs home the mama and he's aware of it and so he hates it and i, I want to give him props because he always like subverts it in yeah. an interesting way it's not just like haha i made a joke about this pop culture thing you love right. um but if he really, really hated it, he could get away from that and tell an original story without any pop culture references. Right. He just 
that's what he does, and I enjoy it. <laughs> Do you think these last? Because my, I guess my thesis is that these these this two episode stretch was perhaps the weakest two episode stretch I've ever seen in Rick and Morty. Hmm. Which is surprising because I thought the first two episodes were as good, if not better, than anything I'd ever seen before. They're really good, yeah. And like, but on, on the other hand, there's. It's hard to tell because I've seen season one and season two so much that I've grown to enjoy hmm. even. It's like when you, you get a really good album, like not every song is really good on an album, but if you like you, you get really into infinite, you know, melancholy and infinite sadness. <laughs> right. By the time you've listened to it 20 times, even the shitty songs, you've kind of gotten some kind of Stockholm syndrome relation <laughs> with that you can. Mm. So like even like I didn't like Tiny Rick episode when I first saw it, but now it's like I, 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 I see this. I only see the good stuff, not the bad. I just feel like that these two episodes, not they just feel like historically weak, which is surprising mm-hmm. because I know that one of the reasons they said it took so long to write the series is they wanted to make sure they topped what had come before. So is the hype influencing your enjoyment? Could be, but like I just like and the other thing is because um, I don't know it might be you're you might be right I'm I'm too aware of what they're trying to do like when I sit there and listen to their. Um, like their commentaries for season one and season two, and they're articulating how they don't understand precisely what people like. Like they thought that the interdimensional cable episode was just going to be this weak kind of semi embarrassing bullshit. And it turned out to be one of the most popular ones. And I remember like at a comic con panel, Justin and Dan both said, well, we think pickle Rick will be the breakout. Like that's the me six episode this season. Yet none of us three, like I wouldn't yeah. put it anywhere near the Meesex episode. No, no. Like, is as have they been so afraid to avoid the pitfalls and steer for the successes that they've actually missed a mark <laughs> somehow? It's possible. I mean, when I, I don't know if I look at what I like about the show, mm-hmm. um, I like that it's very smart yeah. and that it's subversive and that. It has interesting, unique things to say. Right. Um, it's also fucking hilarious, which mm-hmm. is is a big a big point. It's favor. Right. Uh, the intergalactic cable shows. The things I like about that is it feels like them just cutting loose. Yeah. Like saying fuck all the smart shit. We know, like we want to do that stuff and we think it's awesome, but right. here's a really dumb fucking thing right. that we came up with. Just enjoy it for what it is. Here's 15 really dumb fucking things. Right. We're just going to improv and like it like. And you need that release every once in a while. <laughs> well, it's funny because like the structure of the show is is such that they can tell any story they want at any time. Yeah. And even that is too restrictive for Justin Roiland. Like, no, <laughs> right. I just I want something where I can just fucking cut loose in the booth and see what happens. Yeah. Um. Which I I don't know if that's I feel him. I, like I don't that. I don't know if that's actually coming too because like I'm scared that they're not going to do an interdimensional cable. Um, mm. I think they will. I think so too, because they always talked about in the in the um, commentaries like that's this that's going to be their Simpsons Treehouse of Horrors. Every, that yeah. every year they'll do something that's completely out of universe and completely unconnected, just because it's zany and crazy and it won't necessarily impact yeah. continuity. And although it does, because the, the A story always is mm-hmm. part of the show's continuity, and then the B story is essentially just random interdimensional television shows. Right. Mm-hmm. If nothing else, and it. It's something they enjoyed making. Yeah. So I guess in another week we'll come back and talk about the next episodes, which one was the Jerry episode. And then I forget what the preview looks like for next week. Did you remember that? Yeah. Um, what did you think? Just just without talking, without splitting for Jim, did you <laughs> like the Jerry? We haven't talked about this. Have we? Have you? Did you like the Jerry episode? I, I did. For some reason, we've watched it three, four times now. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> yeah. 
yeah, I liked it. Okay. <laughs> I can't talk I, about it without yeah, 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 yeah. All right. I did, too. I thought it was much. I thought it was re- a little bit of a return to form. Huh. Okay. So, um, all right. Now, you guys want to talk about Ozark? Ozark? Have yeah. you not? Ozark. The Azores? Have you not seen any of this? Have you seen? I have not seen any of it, but okay. I've heard you guys talk about it, not together. So, I'm kind of like going to sit here and hear you guys talk about it and then... I guess ask questions. So I'll snipe from the sidelines. <laughs> Have you seen that? You've seen the whole thing, right, Jim? I've seen all of it, yeah. and you've not seen the whole thing. I've seen all of it. Oh, okay, cool. No. Okay, yeah. Uh, so for uh, the people who haven't seen it, what's the premise? Are of we going to do show? spoilers during this section? I think we have to. Okay. Just well, I don't know. Are you going to watch it, Aaron? No, I mean I'm spoiler agnostic. Oh like, right. Something about this, or it's a season one, and there's not all those mythos. Like, yeah, just fucking do it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so the the premise for people who haven't seen it, and we are going to do spoilers, so if you want to see it and you haven't, tune out now. Um, skip to the next marker or whatever. We don't do markers. Uh, we do put them in the show notes. We do, yeah. You got you to gotta, you gotta work for them. So the premise is basically uh, Jason Bateman. That's his name, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Arrested Development Guy. Um, he, a he while back. aged in 20 years, apparently. Yeah, he still looks pretty. He, st- pretty he stopped Jason aging. Bateman-y. As soon as he yeah. got out of his teenage years, it's just boom. <laughs> Uh, he'll crack eventually. Yeah. Everyone does. Um, so he, <laughs> he's involved with this uh, drug lord who has him laundering money for him, and he runs uh, some kind of financial institution. I don't know exactly what. Um, but He and his partner are wealth managers. Wealth managers? Okay. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> at the beginning of the show, this is like episode one stuff, his – it's found out that his partner in the wealth management company has been skimming money off the top. Jason Bateman knew nothing about this, and the the drug lord has found out somehow. Um, I forget exactly how, but where's this uh, set at? The Ozarks went, implies like some kind of in, uh, Appalachian Mountain. Kind it of is, thing? yeah. Okay. So that, that's the thing. Like they're in. So it's a little bit of justified kind Chicago of feel? to start. Yeah, I think. they're in Chicago, and then they move to. Well, the Lake of the Ozarks. <laughs> yeah, so the way it happens is the drug lord finds out. He kills everybody except for Jason Bateman, who unrealistically, uh, Hail Mary. I, I, yeah, like, I had the you, biggest problem with this. I, I don't understand how you stammer your way into believability. It, uh, the, yeah. He, the, it, that speech wasn't convincing. It was not. Um, and the, the biggest problem I have with it is they could have they could have had him... I forget exactly what the scenario was, but it was a very unlikely speech he gave that would convince this guy. Right, because earlier in the episode, his partner had given him a pamphlet and said, I'm looking to invest in some property here. Yeah. And the pamphlet, like, falls out of his pocket or something. He pulls it out when he's about to be killed and is like a Hail Mary for him. And it's for the Ozarks, right? Like yes. the the all the real estate stuff that's going down in the Ozarks. And, and the Ozarks, the Ozarks is a Highland Plateau region of Arkansas, Missouri, and Oklahoma. That sounds like you read it off Wikipedia. I did because I was like, <laughs> I, I I knew the Appalachian Mountains wasn't quite right, and which, I wanted to. Yeah. Which states are they? Uh, Arkansas, mi- shit, goddamn it, Missouri and uh, Oklahoma. Okay. Hmm. Did I say Arkansas first? Arkansas. Because yeah. sometimes when I read it, I, I throw on the S. So uh, the elevator pitch I've been giving people is that this is Breaking Bad, except the whole family's in on it, mm-hmm. and they're not producing, but they're just laundering the money. Yeah. So it's got some of those, that same tension you get with dealing with the um, uh, Mexican cartel. Yeah. I So the things that I like about it are actually the – the relationship of the family 
Um, it's a very strained relationship. The the wife has cheated on the husband. Um, the husband has been neglectful, which caused the cheating and all, all kinds of stuff. Like it explores that type of relationship, I think, in a fairly interesting way. Um, right. it, it doesn't like shortcut it very much. It, it deals with the real issues around it. Exactly. And, you know, the kids are, uh, are precocious. I think I forget how old the boy is. The girl is like 15 or yeah, 16. Yeah, especially the daughter. She's like teenage you know yeah exactly that's how it goes um and they're they're um imbued with all of this knowledge that they now have to start being treated like adults or Mm -hmm. you know as equals because they have all these things that they also have to deal with so how old are the kids i think the daughter is 15 Mm -hmm. and the boy has to be like 12 13 probably yeah. are they annoying because that's like usually in some of these dramas or it's that's the kryptonite if about the, kid actors yeah, yeah, about yeah the little girl the girl who whines and right is just wants to go to the mall and the little boy who's see fear know, the walk all the care all the, right, the kids exactly. on fear the walking dead and you know they do have some of those aspects uh, you know teenage relationships with mm-hmm. you know friends that they're meeting and friends that they have to leave back behind in chicago I thought that was all really believable. I did too. Yeah, the well the two main kids of the family are really good. I think maybe the the villain girl uh, was a little less yeah. good, in my opinion. Um, yeah. Uh, so there's this. Yeah, well, she's forced into that actress is put in a scenario where the writing isn't terrific around her character. Yeah. It's it's good. It's passable, but not amazing. Um. So I don't. I'm not going to say too much bad about her, but <laughs> right. Um, there's another family that live that has land, and they have like three connected trailers, um, and those are sort of their. It's like uh, the trailer park version of Dallas. <laughs> when you say connected, like you know, they're actually literally connected. Well, I mean, they're sort of like placed in like a semicircle, and it's oh, okay. not an official trailer park. Okay, it's just, you can tell it's land that they just dropped. Yeah, the yeah, yeah, on. yeah, yeah. Um, and I forget how they actually got entwined with each other. Uh, I don't know. She steals something. Yeah, she steals some money from a hotel room uh, that was left unattended, and then Jason Bateman's got to go talk his way <laughs> back into the twenty grand they took, or yes, whatever, or right. the million they took oh, a million and he left them with twenty. Exactly. So they moved to Chicago. They're staying in a motel. The housekeeping girl um, who's in this family finds this uh, suitcase full of money, and she takes it. So then they're sort of adversaries, but they're working together, um, and they're being led by this, like, shadowy father, or her father, who's in prison, but still Mm -hmm. uh, is sort of a threat to them, and... Yeah, I I actually like the relationship between Jason Bateman and that lead villain girls, uh, that lead villain girl. Um, the relationship there is really interesting because you can tell she doesn't have a lot of positive male influences around her. Right. Uh, they're entirely negative. Or female. Any. Or female, yeah. yeah. She has zero female influences around her. She's the only female in that whole pack of trailer parkers. <laughs> yeah. uh, but the males in her life are nowhere near positive influences, right? And Jason Bateman, come on, he's laundering money for a drug dealer. So he's not the most positive, but he treats her with respect um he's he's trying to like give her like a a leg up in life a little bit like teach her how to do things as opposed to like her other male influences who just want to shit on her right and keep her down and she's got two two kids 
um, her uh, cousins that are barely younger than her. Yeah. And she's still trying to be a positive influence for them as well. Right. While planning the death of Jason baby. (laughs) Right. Exactly. (laughs) Uh, yeah, I I think the weakest parts of that show are when they have Jason Bateman be Jason Bateman from Arrested yeah. Development. Yeah, um, interesting. He he ends up talking his way out of or into things that shouldn't reasonably work, um, and it it's really distracting in an otherwise well written show. Right. So their whole um, is the tone of the show. Would you say is like a black comedy or is it no. little at times? Comedy? But mostly it's like a drama, really like a dark drama. Yeah. Okay. So it's more it's more Breaking Bad. Mm-hmm. Now the the rep I've heard on this show is that it starts strong, the middle's kind of bad, and then it ends strong. And then I've also heard people say that it starts kind of dumb and then gets better for a couple episodes and then sh- sharply draw uh, drops off. Where are you guys? I guess like what would you guys say about the season overall and like where do you think it ebbs and flows? And I. I feel like maybe they were trying to do too much. You know, you have mm-hmm. the trailer parkers that are villains. You have the heroin growers or the poppy farm. Yeah. Um, the that competing are like drug lord. The, yeah, he's got the cops in his pocket. Um, it's very much like stay out of my territory sort of thing. Right. Um, and um, and then there's the the preacher the boat preacher. preacher and we haven't even talked about the fbi agent who's on the their FBI tails like agent? Oh my God. there's so much going on in a, a season one um that yeah they can't give uh appropriate time to any of it really right um and i feel like they sort of closed a lot of those loops by the end so mm-hmm. you never will get more of that um which is fine. I think paring it down for season two is probably a smart thing. Right. Um, have a central villain, have a central threat, uh, and just kind of write from there. And and maybe not try and do six things at once. Exactly. So, yeah, it feels like by the finale they got that message. Yeah, and at some point along the way, uh, I stopped watching it. I was like, eh, I'm probably done with this. It's, it's good, like, 50% of the time and pretty bad 50% of the time. Um but then I decided, hey, you know what? I might as well just turn it on in the background and finish it. Right. So I don't I don't know. I mean, I would recommend if you've seen a lot of the really good shows and you like Jason Bateman or um, shit. It starts with a J. No, Laura Linney. That's it. Yeah, Laura Linney. Um, if you like either of them, I'd say go for it because they actually – like Jason Bateman, I'm – I'm never surprised, I guess, when he puts in a good performance. And same with Laura Linney. But I think on screen, they're actually really good together. Right. I didn't expect that. Yeah. Um, There's a lot of power in their performances. Absolutely. Um, and there, if you like the sort of uh, criminal underbelly, the business side of how it works, it's really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not... It's not 100% foolproof. <laughs> right. There, there's some lingering questions on how things work, but, you know, their whole their mission throughout the whole thing is to try to get $8 million. Laundered, yeah. Uh, to make up for the $5 million that the other guy stole. Yeah, something and then, like that. And then they give them another, like, $50 million. At the very end, yeah. Yeah, so now they like, have to oh, start fuck. the whole race all over again in a town that turns out isn't really thriving <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's and, hard to pump money into and already has you know competing interests there right so uh i don't know season two should be, have some fireworks i would yeah. guess we'll see 
All right. Well, let's move on to a show that uh, Jim hasn't seen that we've seen. But you, you, uh, you have the, some background this? you'll probably understand. The Marvel's Defenders. Never heard of it. Netflix. <laughs> this is uh, this is the street level version of the Avengers. It it culminates the storyline they've been telling with Daredevil, Jessica Jones, Luke Cage, and Iron Fist. Now, I've seen all of that except for Iron Fist. I saw two episodes of Iron Fist, and I was like, "Fuck." Every bit of this. You forgot to mention Crocobot. Crocobot, yes. <laughs> Crocobot, he dies early on in the first episode. Spoilers. Shit, um, he's my favorite. <laughs> and it's and, and the thing is, uh, here's the thing that I found shocking. Um, that, because I know you, you didn't watch Luke Cage, Jim. No. But you did watch all but the last two episodes of Jessica Jones, Ugh, which yeah. is where it got good again, unfortunately. <laughs> Jesus Christ. And you saw, you know, and, and the thing is, is like that the Marvel... Their rep is that they've got eight really good episodes, and they inexplicably insist on making 13-episode seasons. Yep. And I found that to be true for every goddamn one, except for Iron Fist, who just sucked. <laughs> like, that guy who's the knight that who plays Sir Loras, the Knight of Flowers, he just shockingly unprepared to do an action show. Hmm. Like, and they don't, they're not as good at hiding, like, you know, Charlie Cox, that's the Daredevil's name, like, he came to play. Uh, plus, he has a costume where most of his face is hidden, so you can, you know, get a get a stunt guy in there to do the the real spectacular stuff. This guy's running around in essentially curly hair and a shitty beard, and no he's shirt. got and and he's got a oh, and that's the thing when I never saw him with his damn Iron Fist tattoo. Yeah. That looks it looks like he got a like like one of those you know like you go to Japan they got those giant vending machines like a giant vending machine version of a, a temporary tattoo. Got gotcha pond? Is that what that's called? Yeah, l- licked it and put it on his chest. It's the worst. <laughs> right. It's very shiny and foldy. <laughs> and he's got this just scrawny little like body that is put on anyway. Right, but you know Jessica Jones. He's supposed to be a living weapon. Right. Jessica Jones is really small as well, but that's she true. can still you know believably do the action. Stuff. I guess. But yeah. I yeah. True. True. Um, but it's somehow, just, for some reason, he just doesn't work. Yeah, it's and and the thing that I thought is like, well, okay. By the time the defenders comes around, they'll they'll see this feedback and they'll prescribe him a shit ton of steroids, and he'll <laughs> he'll he'll work out because he's got pride as a professional actor, and they'll do more work with his with his kung fu scenes. The very first thing you see in the defenders uh, is a long kind of running battle that he's going with the ninja guy, and the the stunt work is god awful. Oh, now, what I thought was really cool about this first episode is, you know, what what what's cool about any kind of Marvel crossover in a comic book world is when it's going is being told over multiple storylines. You always get to see char- like characters that usually they have a house artist and a house writer. Like, what is Wolverine? who's usually dra- drawn by Jim Lee. Now he's going to go do a crossover with Su- Spider-Man, and now he's getting drawn by uh, uh, Sh- McFarland, for example, mm-hmm. and written by McFarland. Like, what's a Wolverine with uh, McFarland look like? That kind of stuff. And I thought what was really cool is, like, when they're cycling through their characters in that first episode, like, Luke Cage steps on the scene, the background music is a lot, you know, jazzier. The, and, and, the color and filter is a lot more It's secret. warm. Yeah, it goes back to that Luke Cage, really warm, golden mm-hmm. uh, flow. Like, Jessica Jones has its own feel. Daredevil has its own feel. Like, I, yeah. if, if you'd have told me that they had hired, like, some of their signature directors to just shoot their scenes, and that made it feel like this kind of, like, exciting buildup of a crossover ep- uh, episode. 
Uh, the thing that I'm kind of surprised because we're th- three episodes in is the defenders haven't really assembled yet. No, it's. I mean, it's. Um, you. I'm watching it and I'm thinking, well, has this person met before? How does this person know this person? Um, you just have to really have remembered all of the storylines from yeah. the previous shows. But and, and you can tell they're on a collision course, like Luke K. Like the, like so. The hand, you know, the 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 band of uh, eternal ninjas is back, and they're headed by a Sigourney Weaver who's dying of cancer. Yes, and they've resurrected Elektra from the dead to be their like champion. Um, but they're like recruiting like you know young black men to do their dare their you know their ne'er do well shit, which pisses off Luke Cage because suddenly there's young young men dying in Harlem in his neighborhood, and Jessica Jones gets hired to find some father and loving husband who's gone off the deep end and she gets sucked into that and like all this turns out to be parts of hand plots and the other thing i really like is like daredevil is essentially retired and there's a couple scenes where um he's in his apartment and he's white knuckling here you know giving up hero cold turkey because he hears a guy getting beat up in the street and he's like gritting his teeth and clenching his fist and then he his superhero picks up a cop car coming up and like the, the police breaking up, and then he kind of visibly relaxes. Like Hell's Kitchen's starting to get better, yeah. but you know, of course, uh, it's not going to be too too long before he gets the long underwear out and right. And the and, pointy ears, yeah. And it's weird because like you know, you and I didn't necessarily like Karen and Foggy's reaction to his heroics last season, mm-hmm. and it's so weird because we're coming into story and and it seems like it's a point where like Matt has kind of like been ignoring them or they've been ignoring him and he's been focusing on like helping people out legally. And foggy's got this big successful commercial practice at the big law firm and Karen's a journalist and they're all starting to be, it's like been an awkward six months and episode one, they're like, Hey, you know what? Maybe we should call and have dinner and like, you know, talk it out. And Mm -hmm. I don't know, because like, it feels like Foggy's got religion about him being a superhero, and Karen's ready to overlook it. it it's like they're undoing a lot of that, what I thought was dubious character work, but it's weird that they're just, just I feel like they're just, you know, flipping over the tables there. Um, yeah, I think it's been really good so far. Yeah. Um, it's past the Iron Fist. Can I make it to two episodes test <laughs> yeah well i mean that you mentioned that they had an idea for how to treat iron fist because oh yeah i I'm, i heard um i read uh joanna robinson a vanity fair article that says that they have seen the issues with iron fist and they're treating him you know less like a character and more as a plot device throughout the entire season <laughs> you know right. that's gotta be great if i'm an actor and they're like yeah, buddy, uh, you're not really going to be a character anymore. Right. We're going to make you a MacGuffin. Yeah. We're just going to tie I mean, you up and throw you in a trunk, and the rest of the the Avengers, the Vindicators, are going to come after you. I mean, I feel sorry for I mean, I, I would feel sorry for him if I find out later that there's some kind of physical, like if he's got some kind of Michael J. Fox oh, no. hidden yeah, like Parkinson's that he's battling. But if he's able-bodied and healthy, like I don't see some any Some people reason. are just uncoordinated. Well, then they sh- that should have came out in, like, the fucking screen tests, right? Yeah. yeah, that's true. 
And, like, you know, Vigo Mortensen wasn't always Aragorn. They had some other asshole in there, and they're like, you know what? This guy, I can't take him serious as a leader of men. We need a guy who will break his foot kicking a helmet. <laughs> right. Call, call him the guy who uh, brutalized Demi Moore in, in, in the G.I. Jane. We need him here. And, you know, it's like it's it's not you, – you can it, – it's almost like they just they signed him up sight unseen. Like, oh, he was the Knight of Flowers. He's got that geek credential. He's mm-hmm. conventionally handsome. Get 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 him on here, and no one checked to see if he actually is capable of doing any kind of stunt work. And mm-hmm. the other thing is, if you need to hide his face, like the the comic book um, uh, Iron Fist does, like a um, like a Zorro style like thing tied around his head, a lot like how Matt was running around in season one of Daredevil. He had kind of like this pirate, you know, full head mask that he ties around, and has this eye holes. Like I, they could have done done something like that to. If they wanted to hide his ineptness, but it's just really bad. You know how they conspicuously, like in movies, they will conspicuously hide like the junk and the boobs, mm-hmm. and, like behind bananas right. and, and light posts. They should right. do that with his face, right? While he's doing all his like flip <laughs> sure. kicks and stuff, and there's just like it's like Austin shrapnel. Powers on instead of dicks yeah. and boobs, right? Like, just hiding the fact that he, that Finn Jones is that that's his name, right? Something yeah. like that. He, he just something. sucks. Um, and the other thing is that really makes it worse is during the fight scenes, they combine like the six million dollar man slow mo effect with Jason Bourne shaky cam with like a big healthy smear of Vaseline on the screen. Like it's what? it's visually a fucking mess every single time Iron that. Fist starts fighting. Yeah. And then like so I I never got to the point in Iron Fist where his fist became like unto iron and glows white hot or whatever and he hit somebody with it but they do that in the first episode of defenders and it's the biggest wet fart special effect oh yeah <laughs> like he, he starts gears up and he charges up his fist and you think that he oh man be awesome oh man and then he hits the person and it's just like yeah, it's like <laughs> boop and like it doesn't make like it does it doesn't have like a blast of power there's no visual effect it's just the person literally just goes booped and that's he disappears it disappears into the shadows yeah they kind of go flying back on a on a on a you know wire foo kind of rig right i think we are set up this season for another um hand style Mm -hmm. shadowy purpose um their first the second episode Mm -hmm. there's they set off a huge like electro bomb i can i imagine emp yeah and uh takes out all the city lights it causes an earthquakes right you know cracks the foundations um was it the first episode of Daredevil where they spent the entire season building up to the giant hole? Or mm-hmm. that... that was the second season. The second season. Well, clearly, I, Hand's I... doing some subterranean ne'er do there do well. Right. I feel like it's got the potential to go that way. Uh-huh. I don't. I wonder how much time they're going to spend actually telling us what their plan is. Right. Well, but there's also some kind of shaky writing because Jessica Jones' best friend, who has the Good Morning Amanda or whatever to name Trish. Good morning, Trish, or whatever. Like she's trying to uncover this, you know. Like there's a there's a cover up because like they're, you know, she's reading the official statements from the city of New York about the earthquakes, and then a geologist calls in and is like, "Look, I'm a geologist, and I'm telling you that this earthquake with only a 300 meter," and she gets disconnected. Yeah, and then there's the a setup to, radio and then the hand that runs the radio station, and she calls up. She's like, "What happened?" And she's like, "Hey, look, uh, the engineer's like, look." Uh, upper management has called and said to dump the call and you know to stop asking questions. I'm like, 
I if you're a big bad person trying to suppress the truth, it feels like that's a pretty hand like like telling journalists that you're just openly suppressing it is is a, is is going to bite you in the ass. Right. I don't know, but the thing that gives me hope is it's only eight episodes long. Mm, yeah. If they can't fill eight episodes with four superheroes, then like I said, I I I, I mentioned like on a couple lunch gym and Aarons ago that like this might be it. Like if they don't if they don't hold my interest throughout the defenders, I might be out. I'd mm. probably check out uh, Barenthal's Punisher when they finally get that out because that was a great character. Punisher is one of my all time favorite superhero or anti heroes. Might even check out Daredevil because I really like Charlie Cox's take on that. But the rest of this expanded universe, uh, I'm either going to take piecemeal or just be out on because I hate getting wrapped up into this stuff. And it it's, it it looks good and the production values are so high, but they just they, they they can't tell a fucking consistent story. Oh, I'm still all in on everything besides Iron Fist. All right, <laughs> okay. um, I didn't know you had that many problems with Luke Cage and Jessica Jones. No, it's. Well, Jessica Jones sags in the middle. Oh, yeah. And Holy so does Luke Cage. Shit. Luke yeah. Cage, when they go from, uh, oh, God, is this guy's Marshala Ali? It, Ma- I used to know how to pronounce his name. Sure. Uh-huh. Marshala yep. Ali. Marshala Ali. Yeah. When they switch from him to the to the eventual big bad of the season, like it, it falls off like a three or four episode cliff yeah. mm-hmm. and doesn't recover until the last mm-hmm. two episodes. Um I'll still say, like, even for season one Daredevil, the best stuff comes in the first four episodes. Uh, Luke yeah. Cage, the best stuff comes in the first four episodes. Jessica Jones, best stuff comes, and they just... And again, they keep doing it to themselves, because just make it a six or eight episode series then. Right. Yeah. Uh, I, that's what they did this time, so... Right, Check right. Later. Yeah, and I think Jessica Jones also, like, you know, I she picks up steam when she's this street-level kind of, like, super-powered detective. Um, and then when they give her this long kind of involved arc, it, it starts falling apart. Uh, the other interesting thing is uh, Luke Cage is making time with the night nurse. Like him and Rosario Claire. Da- Claire are an official official item now, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, which is interesting. Well, yeah, like the or, fact that like, like Claire has been the kind of side piece for everyone. <laughs> yeah, essentially everyone except for maybe Iron Fist cuz I haven't seen him. But like now that she's uh kind of pairing up with Luke Cage, that does that mean that uh a Debran Wool is going to be paired up with uh Daredevil or I can't even remember her name. It's not Claire. I want to say she she's Claire. It's Karen Page. Karen Karen Page. There you go. All right. Um do you want to make a pitch on why people should watch Glow, Jim? Have neither of you seen Glow? I have seen the trailer, and I've heard that huh. um, Judy from Mad Men gets naked. That's true. Yeah. Judy from Mad Men. Yeah. Pete's, Pete's wife. Pete's wife. Pete, oh. Allison Brie. Allison yeah. Brie, thank you. Yeah. Uh, so, like, you know, that's... Uh, honestly, I'm trying to remember someone who doesn't get naked in that show. Really? Allison Brie gets naked. Her best friend gets naked. Uh... Several of the other wrestlers get naked. Mark Marin gets naked. Oh my god! Yes, uh, it, it's just ass. WTF? Just Aww. Aww. Yeah. Uh, not really naked is what I would call that. Not really but, naked. In but, but I mean, if that, if you need any more pitch than that, I don't know what to tell you. Yeah, Mark Marin's ass. I, you, you have me at Mark Marin's ass. <laughs> Actually, what I'm fu- WTF. I, I think Mark Marin is a great interviewer, and I'm not really as on board with his comedy, but I really liked him in this. Uh. Um. Which, I don't know. He, he was good, but he's certainly not the star. I mean, mm. Alison Brie and I don't know 
the name of the actress who plays her friend or the character's name, but her best friend. Uh, those two are the stars, and so they're this, great. Is this a fictionalized telling of the yeah. the, the Glow Wrestling League? Because I grew uh-huh. up like at the height of, of Glow. Like I was in elementary school when they started trying to make this a thing, riding on the back of WWF. Um, is it a fictionalized version, or is this actually... Like how I guess how fictionalized is it? Are these real characters and real people that they've lightly fictionalized? Is this just like based on the concept and the characters are completely invented? Do you know anything about the? So I don't know anything about the original like actual glow, right? Um, the the gorgeous ladies of wrestling. Uh-huh. Uh huh. So I can't tell you, right? But what I can tell you is it feels like a very fictionalized story, right? <laughs> um, it's. So I think somewhere I mentioned that Jinji Cohan was involved in it. Cohen, mm-hmm. Cohan. Although I, I saw in the it. forums people took issue with that that like she's she's an executive producer and yeah. she wrote one episode. Okay. Um, but her fingerprint is all over this. You can see it. And Carly Minch is one of the uh, right one of the writers on this show right. who wrote I want to say nine episodes. She was also a, a writer on uh, Weeds. Mm-hmm. So like. A lot of the feel of Weeds, I felt, transferred over to this. There's a lot of that influence. Even if yeah. Jinji Cohen wasn't calling all the shots, her right. her artistic influence is on it. For sure. Um, and I don't know. I, I really like it. It's at times a little zany, a little wacky. Um, the scenarios are not like what you would say is like ultra-realistic or anything, uh-huh. but they're a lot of fun. And I, I don't know. I think it has a, a really cool style to it. Is it hard hitting like Mickey Rourke's The Wrestler? No, God no. Because <laughs> that's the thing. Like you, sometimes you think There's like a, hard what, hits, Could you but... tell some story about like a like? Could you make being a wrestler interesting? And like you know, Mickey Rourke and The Wrestler shows that yes, yes, you can uh, if you tell the right yeah. version of the story. I can't imagine because the thing I remember about Glow is you had like two types of women, two types of gorgeous women. You had right. right. The big Bertha brute, like the, the people that could pick up another woman and slam her through concrete. Uh-huh. And then you had the pretty women that were there for essentially sex appeal and to pull hair right. and slap and stuff I, like that. I mean, it's no different than the, the gorgeous men of wrestling. <laughs> like, you have those two archetypes in male wrestling as well, right? Yeah, like but the Andre the Giants yeah, sure, and sure. The Rocks. I, I guess you know? that's true. But but even The Rock is like, a spe- you know, like. He he's does, still a monster. He he's a face, sure. But yeah, that's, yeah. What I, that's what I'm getting at. Like, Allison Bree is not going to like you know split someone's head open no or maybe she does she i don't can, know she convincingly like does a lot of these flying jump moves and okay. like off the ropes and okay. like I, I think they taught all these people how to actually wrestle okay because they're all very very good at just like how to move in the ring right but, well okay so it starts off because that's to say what's the central arc here they the whole arc is mark Marin is the guy who was hired to put on this show to create like the, the gorgeous ladies of wrestling yeah, he's right the, the vince mcmahon and, of... and he's like some washed up like hack director who okay. they just brought in and said hey do this thing okay um and so he's trying to get this new brand new thing off the ground like nobody's ever done women's wrestling before right. so he comes in and he assembles a team which are all just terrible they don't get along they can't do any moves uh some of them are like one of them is like a, a stunt woman so she's kind of like training the group or mm-hmm, trying to mm-hmm. um and it's kind of their struggle to turn something that is laughed at into something that people enjoy and they can be proud of and i think it's actually really interesting in that way hmm. um, it tells it tells a really good story of like overcoming i guess 
stereotypes is the wrong word because like people didn't have an opinion of, of ladies wrestling other than what the hell is this? Like, yeah, nobody, should women? Why even, do I is care this something about this? women should be doing? Yeah, there there wasn't really that. It was like oh really? It, it was more just like what? Why? Yeah, like it's it's stupid. <laughs> no one right. cares about wrestling, right? Um, especially when women are doing it. So right. like, yeah, there there is a little bit of that like. You know, fem- feminism is certainly wrapped up in it, uh-huh. um, and I think it's it could be empowering to people who, you know, see themselves in these characters. But um, I, I think it's also just an interesting story of like getting something that's laughed at off the ground. Is it one and done, or is, or is there some sort no, of no? There's okay. Th- there's definitely a season two coming. Okay, for sure. Because I wonder if. Um... I think it's interesting that Netflix is now doing these movies, you know, like we talked about uh, the the Jessica, not Jessica Jones, Jessica James. Yeah. Um, I wonder if they should start doing some of this BBC style, just like miniseries where it's like it's six. It's a long form story, but there's no intent to move this forward hmm. because, right. I mean, on the one hand, it seems like Netflix just wants to build this content model they don't have to pay for, or they pay exorbitantly up front, but then they own it, right, right. forever and ever. Yeah. And to do that, you need long-term series. But um, I I just, I just like, every time someone comes up with a successful thing, it's like, ooh, there's a second season I want to see. It. Like, I start getting a little nervous because, like, I already – there's, there's already too to much watch. stuff to we watch, have, and mean, there's Glow too many channels. And high on our list, but we haven't watched it yet because right. there's just so many Because things. I had to watch all yeah. of Twin Peaks. And... Or because <laughs> The Defenders just came out, and now we've already started mm-hmm. these other series. Now we need to continue that before we start something new, and by the time we get around to Glow, we'll, yeah. Right. Well, maybe we can revisit Glow once you two have seen it. Yeah. Yes. Um, How many episodes I've... is it? Do you remember? Ten? Ten. Does it, did, does it have the Netflix sag? Mm-hmm. No, maybe maybe an episode hmm. of Fat could have been cut, but that's not, not really. That's not bad. No, it's, it's the not. three and four where you feel like yeah. it's like, and you know that uh, I'm a lot of Netflix shows suffer from that, like House of Cards, all the Marvel stuff, um, you know. And since they they don't need a particular, you know, they don't need to do thirteen episodes, they don't need to do ten episodes. It feels like that they should break the stories, and then I don't know. Netflix has a chance to do something different, but they're not. It's got Harry Crane in it. Huh. Is that... Harry your, Crane? Your oh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. White Castle. Yeah. Yeah, he, <laughs> he, he's actually just a rival, yeah, business owner. He owns well, he, White we Castle. saw him. He was pretty good he in season... No, it's not true. It's <laughs> <laughs> not true. He was actually pretty good in season two of Love as one of Mickey's ex-boyfriends. Uh, well, yeah, but playing a huge dick. But, I mean, you didn't know that at the beginning. <laughs> That's a spoiler no, for Harry. Uh, spoiler. I guess I guess you cast Harry Coyne screaming at each other in the middle of a That's party. true. That's true. That's true. I was gonna, and you, yeah, you, you cast you. Harry Crane, it's like that's not a spoiler that he's going to be a douchebag. <laughs> the spoiler is if he's actually a good guy. Right. Is he a good guy in Glow? Uh, I'll leave that up to the audience. Oh, no spoilers then. He said he was then, a eh? rival business owner. Oh, see, scumbag. So, yeah. Going to be a giant dick bag. Giant bag of dicks. But yeah, we can come back with that and I watched Santa Clarita Diet, and I we, watched the first episode of DuckTales, and like we got some other stuff. To oh, talk I wanted about. to, yeah, I want to show. That's one thing I want tonight. I want to go home and show the boys because we've got uh, we've we've got some we've got young boys at our house now. <laughs> wow, <laughs> they're chained up in our basement. We're oh gonna, boy, we're gonna make them watch. No, my son okay. and uh, Cecily's little brother's over um, for the week, so we're gonna. I want to see. I want to see what they think because they've not seen any of the classic DuckTales. Yeah, um, maybe we'll get them to do a, a bald move interview later in the week. But hmm. uh, what's the other thing? I, 
Um, you mentioned oh, Santa Clarita Diet. Cecily and I watched that. We tapped. We we figured three yeah. episodes in that this is. We've seen all the charms of this episode or this thing. I really liked. Um, you have. I really liked uh, Timothy Oliphant. I really, really don't like Drew Barrymore. Same here, man. And I Same just like, here. yeah, I, I get it. I, I get what this show is going to be about, and I don't need to watch any more of it. Did you're, I? Did you're probably I, right about that. Really? Um, didn't get any better? No, no. Although I enjoyed it for what it was, um, mm. and I background watched it, so I think it's great for that. Right. Because you can check in with the stuff that is working, check out with the stuff that's not, and right. just enjoy it. I just drew, drew Barrymore as my – she's like yeah. right below Gwyneth Paltrow for my <laughs> acting kryptonite. I me, just can't I can't take it in, in any kind of big doses. Yeah. I also want to talk about Insecure maybe. Oh yeah, season. But we had the we've only seen like the first episode of the season so far. All right, we're gonna have to come back with another. Yeah, yeah. another full blown Well, it's for all the television people. You know what you signed right. up for. So uh, I hope you've watched it all because we're gonna talk about right. it all. If you've got uh, some takes you want to send us in, uh, TV at baldmove dot com is uh, where we can look at that, or you can talk about it on the forums at forums dot com, and of course all social media slash slash slash. Slash slash at slash dash at. How many slashes? It's just like it's either slash or at. Like uh, you know, it's like uh, they all need to get their shit together. It should either be you know everything should be at something, everything should be slash something, <laughs> but it's not you know because nobody can get their shit together on the internet. I'm pretty sure the ads belong to Twitter and the slashes belong to Facebook. Is that right? Well, Instagram. See, we added Instagram. And Instagram has because I'm actually I'm, I'm, and a yeah. slash. Oh, is it? Jesus Christ. <laughs> See, that's what I'm, I'm saying. It's a slash slash it kind up. of situation. <laughs> uh, but we'll be back in the near future with another round of TV Smorgasbord. Certainly Rick and Morty. Yeah. Um, that's like the backbone of my, my interest right now. I'm dying to talk about DuckTales, too. So Cool. Yeah. All right. We'll talk to you guys later. Until then, I'm Aaron. And I'm Jim. And I'm Cecily. Bye-bye. <laughs>